Good morning. That is awesome. It's so good to hear people's voices. Uh, good morning. If you guys don't know me, my name is Mitch Fierro, and I'm one of the shepherds on staff here at Fullerton Free. And, and if you've been with us um, the last couple weeks, um, or, or you're just joining us today, we're, we're continuing in our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the title of this series is, is Forget What You've, You've Heard. And essentially, we're looking at this through the lens of, of Jesus defining for us what does it look like for us to be kingdom ambassadors. To summarize the Sermon on the Mount, one commentator calls it um, the blueprint of Jesus' life. And and that's exactly why we're spending our our time in this particular portion of the text. You see, guys, Jesus lived like like no other human has has ever lived. And more importantly, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, excuse me, you have to be a follower of Jesus, um, he's calling us to live in in that very same way. And I particularly like that, that illustration of that, that, that the Sermon on the Mount is a blueprint into the life of Jesus. Um, many of you guys don't know this about me, but before I got into vocational ministry, I worked for an architecture and design firm for about uh, 10 years. Now, don't congratulate me. I wasn't, I'm not an architect. I wasn't a designer. I actually managed the facilities um, that, that our firm owned. But when I was there, I got pretty used to seeing blueprints um, laid all over our facilities. And these blueprints that I see, they, they weren't like these blue rolls like you see in the cartoons or movies. Um, actually, like those blue rolls are, are really toxic. If you handle one, I think they're made with like formaldehyde and asbestos. And people were getting sick for all these years for handling blueprints. So side thing, you guys need to know about that. But, but essentially, like they, they, they switched to printing them on these giant sheets of paper, these giant two by three Um, stacks of drawings that would take up an entire desk. And and when you would look at these these, these stacks of drawings, it would usually be, like I said, an inch and a half, two inches thick, take up an entire desk. And they were all kind of put together the same way. The first sheet usually had a drawing or a rendering of what the finished product or, or what the structure was intended to look like. But when you began to turn the pages... Of, of these blueprints, began to turn the pages of this, this stack of drawing, you would see page after page of, of instructions of, for electrical diagrams for where the power was supposed to go and how it was supposed to interact, intersect with the water and where the sockets were supposed to be and where the spouts were supposed to be. And oftentimes, the very nature of how the building was put together some would oftentimes alter what that image on the front of the, um, the stack of blueprints looked like. And so this morning we have an opportunity, or as we continue our sermon, our series in the Sermon on the Mount, we, we, we have the opportunity to look into the life of Jesus. We get to work into, look into the inner workings of him. We get to see the world the way he sees it. We get to respond, to learn to respond the way Jesus would respond. So if, you were to, if, you, if you're joining us today for the first time, today we're going to be looking at verses 38, as you've heard, through, through 48. And in this section, we're, we're going to be looking at the last two of the six antithesis that, that Jesus covers. Essentially, the last, the, the six you have heard. Now, I encourage you, um, as today we look at retaliation and loving your enemy. Um, if you missed last week or the week before, I encourage you to go back and listen to those. Because these, these examples that Jesus gives us, well, well they're intended to, to build on each other. Like, like Legos or, or, or blocks. See, we're going to find it increasingly difficult to, to, to fight a heart of vengeance or, or to love our enemies the way Jesus has if, if we haven't learned how to respond to our own anger or if we haven't learned what to do with our sinful desires 
or, or, or how to keep a commitment or, or how to have integrity. All of these things build on each other so that today when Jesus invites us into the way he would respond to retaliation or the way he would respond to loving his enemy, it helps us do that, that very thing. So if you haven't um, listened to those, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last two. And so if you have your Bible or your Matthew journal, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Um, on a side note, those drawings that I, that I would look through, those, those like stacks of um, instructions for apartments and offices and buildings, um, whenever you would turn through the pages, you would always see in the margins kind of these notes. Notes from the architects, notes from the designers, notes from the engineers, things so that they would know when the, the, the designs actually got to um, the field, when it was going to be built. Notes for the contractors, for the engineers. And, and that's the very reason why we give you guys these Matthew journals. That as we're, we're journeying and we're looking at the blueprint of Jesus' life, that we might make notes to ourselves. That we might make notes to the things that, that we see in him that maybe we don't see in ourselves. Or that we would highlight attributes and characteristics of the Father that we long to see in our own lives. So I just wanted to encourage you guys to, to take advantage of that, that tool that you have this morning that is that, that Matthew journal. If you don't have one, grab one on your way out because we still have a, a few more weeks in, um, in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. So verse 38, Jesus saying, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth. Let's stop there. You have heard eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What, what is it that, that, that they've heard? Well, well, we have to remember first that Jesus is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience uh, who have heard these teachings either culturally or, or taught religiously in the synagogue or, or, or passed down verbally. So when he says you, you've heard this, He's essentially saying that, that these are things that his listeners were accustomed to hearing. And so what Jesus is referring to this morning is, is known as the law of, of retaliation. And the law of retaliation actually has this really beautiful word um, or saying in, in the Latin that I could share with you this morning. But let's be honest, like I'm never going to use that saying again. And you guys are never going to use that saying again. So for the sake of our time, we're going to call it the law of retaliation because that seems conversational for all of us. Uh, and so the, um, the law of retaliation was essentially designed so that it would prevent inappropriate punishment or it would prevent over punishment. And the law of retaliation can be found throughout the Old Testament. Uh, like in Exodus 21, it says, but if there is harm to you, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Leviticus 24, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Deuteronomy 19, so you shall purge all evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. You shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And this law of retaliation, it actually continues 
um, to influence how we practice law today. We've, we've all heard the term, uh, the punishment fits the crime. Well, well, that comes from the law of retaliation. And one more thing about it, that, that this law of retaliation, it wasn't just um, for any citizen to take this law into their own hand. Rather, it was, it was to be um, imposed by, by civil authorities. Um, it was to be cast out by, by religious leaders. So that being said, Jesus says, you've heard how it is said. You heard it has been said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You guys get it by now. Verse 39, he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So here we see Jesus taking what would be a, a corporal, corporal or, or communal judicial response and he, he's bringing it to an individual level. And I like how he does that because maybe some of us will never find ourselves in court. We'll never find ourselves needing to um, ask for justice at that level. But I think all of us can find ourselves seeking justice on an individual level. So before we, we, we turn to the cheeks, you guys see what I did there? Turn to the cheeks. All right, I got it. It was funny to me. Um, but before we look at the cheeks part of the verse, I, I just wanted to unpack this first section where Jesus talks about um, not resisting the one who is evil. See, what Jesus is saying here, he's, say, he's not saying to never resist people who are evil, or he's not even saying seek out to engage people who are evil. Rather, he, he's making a rhetorical statement where he's simply saying, you're going to encounter people who are evil and want to hurt you. And when you do, this is how I would respond. And so when we find ourselves in conflict, we see Jesus here giving us instructions on how to respond. It says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So what's happening? In Jesus' example, the listener is being slapped on the right cheek. And it's important to mention that it's, that it's the right cheek because the right, che- the right cheek Im- implies that it's, it's, it's a backhanded slap. So it's like, the, like no one slaps like this. It's, it's, a, it's a backhanded slap that the listener is, is receiving. And this backhanded slap, um, it, it reveals the aggressor's motives. See, their, their motives aren't, inten- aren't intentionally to cause physical harm or to, to hurt the person, but rather to disrespect them, to hurt their ego. To humiliate the person who is being slapped. And I wonder if that rings true to some of us today. That as, as we're in a season of just continued divisiveness and, and, and where it feels like we're, we're, we're being divided and separated from our brothers and sisters. I wonder how many of us today can say we feel in this season we have been dishonored. We feel like we've been disrespected. We feel like someone maybe in not agreeing with us has attempted to humiliate us. But Jesus gives us instruction on how to respond. In this instance, when this happens to us, Jesus' way, his way, is to turn the other cheek. Before I say that, I, I, I want to make it clear that Jesus is not saying that he, that we do not care about justice. Jesus cares about justice. We see throughout the New Testament, Jesus addressing those who are oppressed, the marginalized, the poor. 
And Jesus cares about justice for the believer. He cares about when we are wrong or when we see wrong occurring in in the world around us. But here, in this circumstance, Jesus is addressing the vengeance we feel in our hearts when our egos and our reputations have been attacked. When we feel we've been disrespected. And what happens? How, what is our response? Jesus' way is to turn the other cheek. You see, friends, when we, when we seek vengeance, the believer descends to the level of the aggressor. It's not that the believer must never fight back, but rather he or, he or she must live in concrete and consistent ways. Let me say that one more time. It's not that we, we never strike back, but rather we, we need to live our lives in concrete and consistent ways. And that means, as, as we'll see um, later on, Jesus, when he talks about um, interacting with our, our enemy, but essentially the way that we respond to our enemy when we feel disrespected, when we feel attacked, when our ego feels vulnerable, we are to respond to that person the way we respond to our neighbor, to our friend, to maybe the person who, who agrees with us. See, church, we have to remember that your existence, that my very existence today, the reason you and I are here, that we are sitting in this place, that we're sitting under the teaching of Jesus, that we're crying out to him, is that we would leave this place eager to, able to model the kindness, the forgiveness, and the generosity of Jesus. And friends, it is impossible for me, for us, to model his goodness when I am consumed with my own darkness. Again, and why it's so important that, that we look at these you have heards in, in series together. In verse 40, Jesus goes on to say, If any of you would sue, excuse me, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So Jesus is saying here that if anyone sues you to take your tunic, if you don't know what uh, a tunic is, it's um, the primary piece of clothing that, that people wore in, in the first century. Uh, it was usually all stitched in, in one, one piece, one continuous thread. Um, pretty valuable. The average person only had one tunic. If you were really poor, that was really all you had was your tunic. So in most circumstances, if someone's tunic was taken from them, um, they would essentially be left naked and vulnerable. But then Jesus goes on to say that if somebody takes your tunic and, and if you have a cloak, let him take your cloak as well. See, Jesus' way is that when our aggressors attempt to take and, and leave us naked and leave us vulnerable, we give. Both, both verses 39 and 40 is requiring us or is instructing us to respond in generosity, even though it leaves the one who's being attacked, the one who's being taken from, vulnerable. Vulnerable to, to, to further attack and vulnerable to nakedness. This, this taking of the tunic um, reminds me of this time in particular when I was a kid, I think I was the age of my oldest son, so I'm about seven or eight at the time. And it was a school night, and, and my mom and I, were, we were out running errands. I think like we went to, to Mervyn's to get some like 
pants or something. I don't know. And so when we, we pull up in my mom's Ford Taurus. She turns off the car. She gives me the keys and she says, go open the front door. Um, I'll get the, the stuff out of the trunk and I'll, and I'll take it in. So I take my mom's keys and, you know, I'm feeling like mom needs me. I'm contributing. I get to open the door for her. And I, I'm sitting there on our, our dimly lit porch and I, I'm attempting to open our front door when from the, the right side of our porch, I hear glass. And for some reason in that moment, there was a kid up the street, Adrian, that I just didn't like. And I didn't know this verse yet. And so uh, the moment I heard that, I'm like, man, what is Adrian doing on my porch? I hate that punk. And in the middle of that thought, as I'm looking for where this glass is coming from, I look to the window and I see a foot stick out. Slowly after the foot sticks out, the rest of the body comes out and I realize that we're being robbed. And in that moment, I stood toe to toe with someone who was trying to take what was mine. And that moment forever shaped who I would become and and really to who I am this day. To this day, I am still hyper protective of my belongings. If you want to see me get in the flesh, take what's mine and hide it from me. I just don't know what happens. I just lose it. I turn into this vulnerable, this exposed kid, this this helpless kid. and, And I just immediately feel that vengeance in my heart. And I think what Jesus is teaching us here is that when we find ourselves as followers of him, when we find ourselves toe to toe with the person who is willfully taking from us, a person who is willing to leave us vulnerable, naked, and scared, Jesus cares. I wonder if you hear that, you think Jesus cares about me in that moment. Jesus cares about my nakedness. Jesus cares about my vulnerability. Jesus cares, Jesus cares about my being scared. That's true. But Jesus cares and Jesus loves. Yes, Jesus loves me in that moment. And he's there to care for me and to to care for me in that. But Jesus loves and Jesus cares not only about me in that circumstance, but Jesus cares about that person who is doing the taking. And in that moment, in our response to that person that we are standing toe-to-toe with, we have the opportunity to model Jesus' kindness and generosity. Jesus goes even further in verse 41 when he says, If anyone forces you to go a mile with him, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now this, this going the extra mile, um, this is a, a, a practice Going the first mile was a practice in the first century when when a Roman soldier would walk through a town or a village, it it was common for them to, and they were allowed to find a civilian that was standing on the side of the road or hanging out in their house or doing whatever it is they were doing. If they saw a citizen, a civilian, they were able to take that person and have them carry their equipment for a thousand steps, which equaled about uh, a mile. And if you guys know anything about a Roman soldier, they, they, these guys didn't wear like lightweight carbon fiber, Gore-Tex stuff that we have today. These guys wore like heavy metal armor. That's actually a good name for band, heavy metal armor. Um, but they, they wore this heavy stuff and they had to carry all their gear with them and they had to carry their rations with them. And of course they wanted a relief. And so when they were walking through a town, if they saw someone, they would say, carry my stuff for a thousand steps or for a mile. And Jesus' way of responding is 
Friend, you want me to go a mile? Let me go too. Verse 42. Oh, oh, you're, you're begging? You're in need? Here, l- let me give to you. Oh, you need something to borrow? Again, let, let me give to you. Why is it that these people matter to Jesus? Because friends, people matter to Jesus. And I don't get to make the call. You don't get to make the call. We don't get to make the call on who matters to him based on how I feel or, or, or what I own. We don't get to say who those people are who are important to Jesus. But friends, I want to tell you this, that they are important enough to him, that he cares enough about them, that in the midst of this, what could be a horrible circumstance, he cares enough to have you, his follower, his ambassador, intersect paths with him. And what an amazing privilege and responsibility that is. Verse 43, Jesus says, you have heard it is said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We're moving into the last you have heard of this section. This you have heard comes from Leviticus 19.18, where it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, it's interesting. Uh, we, we see where God instructs his followers to, to love their neighbor, but there's actually no clear instruction throughout the Old Testament um, to, to, to hate your enemy. Now, we'll see verses where, where God says that he hates Israel's enemies, and there, there's plenty of verses where it says that, we, that he instructs people to hate what is evil and to hate what is unrighteous. But nowhere where he says to hate your enemy. But I guess one can see where, where, where the listener can, can take um, kind of what, what God is saying here and kind of put them together. That if I'm to, to love my neighbor, then it just feels right to hate my enemy. And it's kind of a, a spin on, on the law of reconciliation that we just saw in the first um, section of these verses. Right? I'm, I'm going to love those who love me and I'm going to hate those who hate me. Eye for eye, foot for foot, toe for toe. All those, those tits and tats that we've looked at this morning. He instructs us to love your neighbor and hate, or the, excuse me, the, the original law is to love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. Um, but real quick before we, we move on, I just want to look at those two definitions. Um, your, your neighbor is essentially... Um, your, your kinsman, it's, it's, it's your literal neighbor. It's the person in your community, in your household, in your family, people that are just kind of in your, your spheres, in your, your proximity, people closest to you. And it's most likely that, that, that a lot of these people probably look like you, think like you, act like you, um, like the same restaurants you like, watch the same shows you watch. And our enemy, our enemy is the one who we are at war with. Our enemy is the one who we've been at war with for a prolonged amount of time. And through that time, that enemy refuses to be reconciled. So in verse 44, we see Jesus give his way. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. 
So just as, as, as he has said in the first section, it is the invitation for us, the believer, for the disciple, for the Christian to offer good when evil is received. And this might be to those who we are encountering for the first time that may want to disrespect us. It is those who, um, who we may have um, recurring circumstances with or, or, or this, the enemy, a person that we have a history of animosity with. But, it, but it's important to know that when Jesus says to, to, to love our enemies, he's, he's using the, the, the agape definition of the word love there. Jesus is instructing us and inviting us to agape love his enemies. And if you don't know what that is, the, 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 the type of love that is agape love, well, that is the same unconditional love that the Father has for us. And we are to offer that same unconditional love to our enemies. It's a love that exists without circumstance. It is his perfect Love, And we are invited to offer that same love to those who would want to hurt us. Why, why do these people matter to Jesus? Why do our enemies matter? Well, again, because people matter to Jesus. And guys, we must never forget. We must never lose sight that at one point in our lives, in our humanity... In our brokenness and in our human sinful nature, everyone sitting in this room, myself included, we were all at one point enemies with God. And church, it is only by his kindness and his generosity that he would send his son to take the cross, shedding his blood, that we all now get the privilege of calling ourselves friend with God. Jesus' way is to offer good when evil is received. And as ambassadors of him, we get to offer good to those, our enemies, and those who would attack us. Now, partnered with this, 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 this love that we are to have for our neighbor, Jesus also says that we, we, we get to intercede on their behalf. We get to pray for our neighbors. Along with, along with our salvation, this gift of prayer is one of the greatest gifts that we have as a followers of Jesus. Because prior to Jesus taking the cross, we did not have direct access to the Father. But because of Jesus, you and I, when we cry out, the Father hears us. Look, when we mourn, the Father hears us. When we lament, he hears us. When we ask, he hears. When we rejoice, he hears. So when we cry out on behalf of our neighbors, not on behalf of our neighbors, excuse me, on behalf of our enemies, on behalf of those who seek to hurt us, who want to see ill will in our lives, when we cry out to the Father for them, friends, he hears us. Why? Why do we do this? Verse 45 so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. To put it simply, that we would be sons who do what, what dad does. My kids and I have, have recently started playing um, Animal Crossing 
Any Animal Crossing players here? Uh, okay, cool. There's a few of us. Um, Animal Crossing is kind of like this sim game where you kind of create this little town. Um, and people keep moving into my town now, and I'm really upset by that because I want to be left alone. But anyways, you kind of like, it's this, this virtual, t- this island that you have, and you kind of build it up. Um, and I, I kind of got into it because my kids got into it, and I love being able to talk with my kids and kind of be into what they're into. And it's, of course, it's an excuse for me to play video games. Um, and so my kids and I have gotten into Animal Crossing. And for the longest time, we had one cartridge, which meant that three of us, we all had to take turns playing, and we could never really interact with each other because we only had one cartridge. And so um, a few days ago, I, I finally bit the bullet, and I, I got a second cartridge so that way we can play together at the same time. And my kids were so excited to visit my island. And they, they both fought to, to who would be first to, 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 to fly and, and to visit and to see how dad lived. And the moment they got to my island, they, they wanted me to show them where, where my house was. And then they were looking at where I had some trees set up. They were looking at where my garden was. They were looking at where I had my bed place and um, the tools that I carried with me. They, they, just, they just were taking everything in that I had done on my island. Then the next day later, my kids said, Dad, come to my island. I want to show you something. And and my youngest boy, Henry, he takes me to his island. He says, Dad, look, my house looks like yours. He put the trees where I put the trees. He put the garden where I have my garden. He carried his tools the way I carried my tools. And friends, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. That we would do what Dad does that we would do what our Father does. This is what it means to be sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. One commentator says it this way, to return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return evil, excuse me, to return good for evil, that is divine. And that, friends, is the work that God has called us to. Verse 46, it says, For if you have loved those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Church, what what good are we if we respond to an attack the way the rest of the world does? What good are we if we only love those who, who love us? What, what salt and provision do we bring to our circles and fears? What, what, what light and illumination do we have to offer the world around us? When we simply respond, only love for love and hate for hate the way the rest of the world does. Friends, we have to remember that as followers of Jesus, you and I have a higher, a higher calling, a higher way to respond. When our attackers and our, and our enemies take the low road, friends, we, 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 we take another way. We take Jesus's way. And this might not always make sense and it might not always feel right, but Jesus's way His way is always kind. It is always generous and it is always sacrificing. Verse verse 48. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I want to say that this is not a call to to sinless perfection. 
but rather to have the same perfect love for your neighbors or for your enemies and for those who want to harm you that Christ has for the world. See, what does it mean for us to look at the blueprint of Jesus' life? It means for us to look at how he lived, to look at how he would respond and to live like him, to live like dad. You see, friends, it is us perfectly modeling the father's perfect love that has first been modeled by Jesus. And maybe you're hearing this today and in the midst of where we find ourselves, maybe you've, you felt this way. You felt you've been attacked. You felt you've been attacked personally. You felt that you've been disrespected and, and you feel that vengeance stirring in your heart. But we have to remember, friends, that, that Jesus has called us to live in a different way. And if you stand here today as a follower of Jesus, I hope that you want to live in his way. A way that offers salt and light to everyone around you. And it can be had. That, that way, that, that life that, that, that we seek to live can be had through Jesus. It can be had because of the same kindness and the generosity that Jesus invites us to have towards our enemies, towards those who would attack us, those who would harm us. He invites us to have that same that same posture towards those who would come against us. But friends, we have to remember that it is through his kindness that he gave all of himself, naked, beaten, going the extra mile, carrying his cross for us, hanging in all of his vulnerability for us, for us who were once enemies with God. And so if you're, if you're hearing this this morning and you, like the disciples, are saying, this, this is a hard saying. The things that you say, God, the things that you say, Jesus, are sometimes that they're hard. If you're saying that this morning, yes, in my flesh, in my humanity, in, 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 my, in my flesh, it is hard. But when I, when I seek Jesus and I look at the way he is his life and I, and I align my life with his, it becomes easier. And it is only, we are only able to live this way through Jesus. As we end, I, I, want, I want to share this quote from Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy. And I think it, it sums up um, this, this section really beautifully. Willard says that when Jesus hung on the cross and prayed, Father, forgive them because they do not understand what they are doing. That was not hard for him. What would have been hard for him would have been to curse his enemies and to spew forth vile and evil upon his persecutors. He calls us to impart himself to us. He does not call us to do what he did but to be as he was, permeated with love, then doing what he did and said becomes a natural expression of who we are in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is my heart 
Lord, that we would be a church, that we would be a community that is looking at the life of your son, Jesus, that is looking at how he saw the world and how he responded to it and that we would be modeling our life to look like his. Not for our own welfare or our own well-being, but but to, to generously and radically put on display the very kindness and grace that he had towards us to those around us in our spheres. So Jesus, I ask for a filling of your Holy Spirit in my own life and in those that are hearing this this morning, that Lord, that it is through your spirit that we have the power to live in this manner. Lord, reveal the the, the areas in our life where this is hard. Reveal the areas in which we need to grow more like your son. Again, that we might glorify him and put him on display for those who desperately need to encounter his goodness, his kindness, and his generosity. And in Jesus' name we say, amen.